9, 12, 10, 28, 2, 23. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I'm your host, David Rothkopf, coming to you from New York City. Joining us from Washington, D.C., we have, of course, Corey Shockey of the American Enterprise Institute. How are you, Corey? I am well, but I have to confess, I am riding out the pandemic in my dusty little cow town of Sonoma, California. Oh, that's even smarter. Much better. <laughs> much better. Much better. Um, all right. Well, there you are in Sonoma, California. Let me try again. In the Washington, D.C. metro area, we have Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University Law Center, maybe in Alexandria, Virginia. Is yeah, that yes, accurate? Indeed, yes, indeed. I am. Hi, David. Are, are you in your Barca lounger? Yes, I'm in my magic, my magic recliner. And that's where I intend to ride out the pandemic right here in this <laughs> with my could be up. could 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 last a long time. And we have a new guest um, who is I don't know, maybe is joining us from Philadelphia, Philadelphia near Philadelphia, Philadelphia yeah. Pennsylvania, is uh, John Gans, who's uh, the director of communications research at the University of Pennsylvania's Perry World House Global Policy Center, which is a lot. And um, he uh, is the author of a book called White House Warriors, How the National Security Council Transformed the American Way of Life, of War, which I I, I might add, I think is one of the Same best thing, books really. ever written that about- That was a Freudian the... slip, I think. What? <laughs> that was a Freudian slip. You said transform the American way of life. And then- Yeah, no, it's it just war. transformed the way of life of some of us. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, one of the one of the best books ever written on the NSC. Um, second, second best. That's of course. Well, yeah. coming from you, David. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, I'm, I'm like you know, it's 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 uh, it's it's uh, up there. But you know, it, the timing is absolutely perfect because, of course, today we have the first news of what the Biden National Security Cabinet is going to look like. Uh, and we've had the official announcement that mm -hmm. Anthony Blinken is going to be the Secretary of State. Uh, we've uh, uh, the announcement that Jake Sullivan is going to be the National Security Advisor, that Alejandro Mayorkas is going to be the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. Um, uh, Avril Haines is going to be the first woman to head the intelligence community. Uh, and um, uh, Linda Thomas Greenfield is going to be the ambassador to the UN and the surprise um, Joe Biden pulling out somebody from the younger crowd, two years younger than him, John <laughs> Kerry uh, will be the climate czar uh, at cabinet level post, which will allow him to sort of take the lead on climate issues. Um, John, you're, you're our, 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 our new guest, so why don't, why don't you start with your reactions? I think it's a fascinating list. I, one of the things that I was amazed by, especially when you add Kerry to the mix and with Biden himself in the mix, is you really have three or four generations of American foreign policy here on display. And with, you know, Kerry fought in, in Vietnam, Biden really came of political age uh, in the, in, during the Vietnam War. 
and sort of was part of that first sort of one of those Watergate slash Vietnam classes that won the Senate seat in, in the early 70s. But then you also have Jake Sullivan and Avril, who really came into government right at the beginning of the 9-11 era. And so you have this fascinating bridge uh, between all these people. So I, I think it's a in terms of its diversity, I think, you know, it's obviously, uh, you know, with women and men and and and, and different uh, races and ethnicity is amazing, but the generations are really telling. And I think that you're going to have, I think this is a, a sign that the sort of post 9-11 era is coming into power in Washington. And I think that will have real implications for the for American foreign policy. <laughs> Let, 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 I had to. I've been asked to write so, some stuff about it, so I was doing a little bit of research. And apropos of what you just said, um, uh, I, I observed that you know the most important national security position, of course, is president, mm-hmm. um, and that Joe Biden has more foreign policy experience than any president in a long time. And I went back and I looked, and then I thought, well, George H. W. Bush, he had a lot of foreign policy experience. After all, he started in 1971. He was U.S. ambassador to U.N., and then he was envoy to China, and he was CIA director and vice president. So he had 17 years of national security experience, which is quite some. Joe Biden started getting his national security experience a year later in 1972 when he entered the Senate. Um, And he has almost three times as much active national level foreign policy experience as even George H.W. Bush. So that's the reason that's the reason I was laughing as John concluded, uh, because the geriatric nature of Democratic and Republican Party leadership uh, is discouraging. But John makes a very good point that that President elect Biden has talked about himself as a bridge to the next generation of leadership and these appointments bear it out. Plus, they're good, solid, experienced people taking the helm, which is a huge relief from the Trump administration's appointments. Two other things I think I would add. One is that um, they are people who all play team sports. So you're not likely to have the kinds of problems you had in the George W. Bush cabinet. Um, right? Like these, or or, these or the Obama cabinet, by the way, you can say that. A friendly cooperative team that, you know, they're calm, competent professionals, all of whom are close to Biden. But the last thing I'd say is it's weird that they announced those appointments in the national security slate and didn't announce the Secretary of Defense. Well, Rosa, why I don't know what that means. Why, but why, don't, why don't you explain that, Rosa? I can't explain that. I can't explain that at all. I mean, I mean, first of all, you know, I, I share John and, and Corey's um, happiness and relief to hear this 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 group of people announced. Um, you know, I, I I've had a few sort of polite debates on Twitter with with people saying, oh, they should bring in outsiders, new blood. You know, why are they bringing these sort of you know retreads from other administrations? And and my reaction to that is I'm all in favor of outsiders bringing in new ideas. I think that's incredibly important. But I also think that we're sort of in a crisis. Like this is like the building is falling down. You know, this is not the moment to bring in the brand new architect and contract who've never, you know, never had any experience designing or constructing a building. 
um, but have really interesting creative ideas, this is the moment to just bring in somebody who you know can get that foundation stabilized to, to torture a metaphor a little bit here. And, and I think that, you know, first of all, I, I think that these actually are for the most part, and there's some I just don't know, so I can't, can't speak as, well, as much about, these actually are quite creative people. They may have worked in prior administrations, but that does not mean that they're not capable of themselves coming up with interesting new ideas and that they're not capable. And I'm sure they will be reaching out extensively both now and when they're in government to outsiders to invite new ideas. But I think right now, you know, these departments and agencies have just, as we know, they've been decimated. I think exactly. Homeland Security, only like a third of its Senate confirmed positions are even filled. Everybody's acting. It's crazy. And the same, you know, we've seen the same kind of carnage across the agencies with people quitting, people being fired, you know, just a gigantic mess. And this is a moment where we need a team that is not going to spend the first six months or a year sort of wondering, gee, how is the joint staff structured? Or gee, what's the role of NCTC? I don't understand. You know, we need a team that can come in and quickly do triage. That's that's where we are. We're to switch. Now I'm totally switching my metaphor. We're, we're in triage moment. Um, and I think in a couple of years, when the patient has been stabilized, the patient yeah. being the US national security establishment, you know, and there may be some wonderful outside folks who don't have as much experience in these agencies who, when the people starting out say, okay, now I'm tired and I need a break, uh, come in and that's great. But I'm, I, I think the fact that this is an experienced team of people who know each other and know their agencies is, is really vital. In terms of what the heck is going on and why, why my personal favorite, Michelle Flournoy, <laughs> has not yet been announced, I don't know. Um, I, I, I do worry a little that you know, there has been a concerted attack from the sort of far left of the party, you know, the part of the party that was like, we're not no voting for Joe Biden, no matter what Bernie says, we're still so mad, we're voting for the Green Party or we're staying home saying, oh, she's a hawk, um, we refuse to support her. That, that seems to be a sort of a concerted Twitter and media effort to brand her with, with sort of epithets like warmonger, which to me is just totally bizarre having worked with her. And I know, I know the rest of you all know her. Um, and that, you know, it just makes me want to smack myself in the forehead. You know, I also, as ever, same same question, sort of like, what, who exactly are you proposing as alternatives right this minute? You know, not only is that just, I think, a very mistaken understanding of her her perspective, um, but you know, I don't really see a lot of other viable people at this moment. And um, so I don't know what the delay is. I hope it's not because of that. Um, and I hope that they will make an announcement uh, very soon. I think that one thing I'd add is there there might not be a delay. This could have been a, a strategic plan. Like they might say, hey, we'd rather get a second story in a, in a week of more competence. You know, Absolutely. they also aren't announcing CIA. So there's a thousand pedestrian reasons why this could not be done or strategic ones. I think the one piece of it is that everybody sort of mentioned is these people get along. Biden's length of experience, he, he, you know, I, I, you know, I know, David, you tell this story, but, you know, Brzezinski, when he came in, like pulled out a list of talent that he had been keeping back in, you know, the 70s of people he liked and was like, hey, I'm going to pick out the people who I think are talented and who I've seen along the way. Joe Biden's been at this yeah. for almost 50 years. Uh, if there's somebody in foreign policy that has has captured his attention and he thinks deserves in these jobs. I think that is a sign that these people are talented. 
The other thing I'd say is, is that, you know, we've all looked at these and he's seen this in, in real time. I mean, he was on the Foreign Relations Committee during Iran-Contra. He is, was on the Foreign Relations Committee during the W. Bush administration. He knows, I think, that the difference between a good team and a bad team and good foreign policy and bad foreign policy is the trust within the team. And so my hunch is that that was the hiring condition is does he trust them and do they trust each other and can they work together? And so my hunch is that, you know, uh, the challenge will be is his trust and that trust will feel radical in Washington right now. This is a place that would make Hobbes, you know, curl up in a ball and hide and hope for the best, right? Like this is a nasty, brutish world. Uh, you know, the, the government under Donald Trump has become, you know, uh, wartime level distrust. And so, that trust is going to have to, you know, they're going to have to convince the people in their buildings to trust them and, and to trust again and trust the White House. So that's going to take time and effort. And I think that radical trust of the Biden team will, will, will be, is newsy and will be new. Uh, and it will be, I, I think, one of the things that will hopefully be helpful in, in the months and, and years ahead. Can yeah, one I, of the things I, that, okay. Can I add one thing, David? Okay. Which is, uh, I think these are all good appointments, but I'm especially pleased to see the DHS um, appointment that putting a Latino American in that position and somebody who's an immigrant to this country will, will by itself send a message that I think is badly needed given the reprehensible conduct of the Department of Homeland Security during the Trump administration. And I think, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think this need, this obviously doesn't need to be said to this group and probably not to most of our listeners, but I'll say it anyway. I, it, it absolutely enrages me when I see people saying, well, he shouldn't be pe picking people just because they're Latino or black or a woman or whatever. And there again, I want to smack myself in the forehead. Um, Biden is very lucky. There is an embarrassment of riches. You know, he has an incredibly deep bench of people to draw on, of people who are all incredibly talented. And some of those incredibly talented, incredibly qualified people are also people who are people of color or women, et cetera. And, you know, the, the notion that this is some, you know, some kind of affirmative action picks. As though no underqualified white sure. men ever get jobs in this economy. Right. Yeah. Crying out loud. Exactly. Thank you, Corey. Exactly. I mean, I mean, you, you cannot find a more qualified group of people. And, and, you know, Jake Sullivan is the youngest of the crew. You know, I, 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 I want so much to dislike Jake because he's younger than I am and he's smarter than I am and he's more capable than I am. And so therefore I want to hate him, but he's also so goddamn nice and so goddamn smart and so goddamn capable, you know, that, that I, it's impossible because he's, he's a good guy and he is qualified, you know, he, and, and, and he's a white guy too. I just would like to state for the record, young, white, and extraordinarily capable and a good- We found a qualified one. This is great, affirmative action. Hard, you know, but they found one and, and God bless them. No, I mean, this is a fantastic team. This is a fantastic, talented, multi-generational, multi-ethnic, you know, multi-gender diverse team. And it really bodes well for, I think the Biden administration, you know, hitting the ground running and also doing it in a way that I do think is going to restore some confidence, not just within the departments and agencies, but among Americans. And I frankly think we're seeing that already, you know, that, that the Trump is like a clown show right now. 
you know, that they're flailing around, they're losing every court case they try. You know, they just look like idiots. They've got Rudy goddamn Giuliani out front. How nuts is that? And, and the polling does suggest that even a fair number of, of Republicans who voted for Trump are beginning to go, whoa, this is kind of nuts. Biden is doing a good job acting like a normal president and we don't like the way Trump is acting. So, you know, so I, I think having the Biden administration come in you know, if the worst thing you can say about these people, if the worst criticism anybody can level is, well, boring, I would have liked to see something more exciting. I'm not sure what that means. I don't know what that means. Oh, yeah. God. I, I, you know, I'm, boring, I'm all boring. in for boring. I'm all in for yeah. boring. Well, actually, you know, though, first of all, they're not that boring. Not boring. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, there, there, there are plenty of ways to see it. Avril, of course, is a trained physicist who ran a bar and was a mechanic met her husband learning how to fly is one of the most eclectic minds you will ever meet mm -hmm. anywhere um and is you know the first woman ever to 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 head the intelligence community that's kind of interesting jake is um you know three years younger i think than henry kissinger was when he became national security advisor brings a lot to it um and of course you mentioned Mayorkas and 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 uh uh, uh Linda Thomas Greenfield has a, a remarkable story of overcoming racism in America, as well as becoming the you know established diplomat. I mean, you got into all their stories; it's a remarkable story. But one of the things that strikes me, John, is that you know this is a technocratic group. This is not a group I that, like that's a bad thing, David. I I don't <laughs> actually I I don't. Um, you know, here the, remember this is deep state radio where we think the deep state are the heroes, uh, and our nerdy listeners they like you know they they like this kind of thing. But but you, you know when I one of the problems that I'm, let's set aside the Trump administration, one of the problems the Obama administration had was that some of the people who were in and around the national security process were political people and they were playing political games from the outset. And some of the people that were in the Obama team, because Obama didn't really have a lot of experience in national security, like uh, Jim Jones, and it, they didn't really have a relationship with Obama. Mm -hmm. and, and it seems like he's learned over the years from this experience, and he's picked people who are technocrats, who he knows and trusts, who aren't going to play the political games with each other. I mean, if there was ever anybody who was sort of born to be the successor of Brent Scowcroft as the honest broker, mm -hmm. it's Jake Sullivan. Yeah, I mean, I think the two things I'd say about it is I, I do think we tend to, and I think this announcement obviously makes us focus on it, but part of the weirdness of this campaign, right, where it was such the Trump show and the freak show that is Trump and everything he said all the time was the center of attention is like Joe Biden has a deeply established worldview, um, similar to H.W. Bush, similar to Eisenhower, similar to the, and even Nixon, right? These are people who come in with a clear established worldview and know people and know how to communicate it and know how to get people to buy into it, right? That's who Joe Biden is. I mean, you know, he believes in alliances, you know, he's a transatlanticist, like this is, this is a known quantity. So I think what I see about it is, is that you don't need that geopolitical visionary there. You need somebody that know, you really need people who know how to take that vision and make it run and make it work and get other people in there. So I do think that that piece of it is, you know, uh, he's got a pretty strong worldview and a strong focus, and he'll be able to sort of push from the Oval Office. 
And then I think Jake's a force multiplier. And then you have Tony where he is as well. And, and whoever you get at, at the Department of Defense. I do think this is a, a crew that sees the world the same way and agrees with the president. So there's going to be less fighting over worldview um, and more probably focus on tactics and how you actually execute. So my trigger finger's itching on this one, David, okay. to disagree. Uh, because uh, I think it's true that Joe Biden has a worldview, but first of all, you always need geopolitical thinkers. And second, sure. Joe Biden's worldview is actually wrong on a bunch of stuff. Um, so, uh, you know, no less a source than Bob Gates said that, that Joe Biden's been wrong on every foreign policy issue in the last 19 years. And Bob Gates isn't a bomb thrower. So um, I think- I think he's a bit of a bomb thrower. I mean, he's, a, he, 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 yeah, he's got a few. I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've looked at the archives. That uh, while it's true that they do have gentle, good manners about dealing with the world, there are important issues on which having a diversity of perspectives actually always matters in a government. And saying the guy at the top's a geopolitical thinker, therefore we don't need them elsewhere, I just think is mistaken. And, and that's not what you've got here, right? Because actually he's picked people, Tony, I know, uh, and, and, and Avril and Jake and the others, who will actually tell them what they think? Yeah, I think that's right. And I and and I I think that um, I think that Biden actually doesn't get enough credit uh, for the role he played. I think my sense, and you know, again, I mean, John and 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 David, you study the National Security Council itself, and so on. You may have a better sense of, sense of this than I do, but but my own sense is that Biden actually was often the important gadfly and the important sort of devil's advocate in discussions where everybody else was going yes 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 yes. Um, and you know, sometimes nice he's wrong. Sometimes he was wrong. Um, sometimes there. Sometimes I think he was right. You know, I think he was basically right about Afghanistan from the beginning. Um, he was. Um, he was. And and he was the only one who would stand up and say it when the Afghan yeah. report came and, down. And one thing I actually worried about during the campaign, and and you know, Corey, Corey, and David and I have been doing this podcast. David, you said it was five years. Can that really be true? It's at least five years. <laughs> oh it's God. actually longer so than that. We started this podcast in high school. In high school, when <laughs> Obama was still president, and we often were quite critical of Obama's foreign policy. Um, and during the campaign, I actually there were moments when I thought, you know, me being critic and just trying to telepathically communicate to Joe Biden, um, Joe, you don't have to wrap yourself that much in the Obama mantle. It's okay for you to say, and you know what, I actually didn't agree with that, and and yeah, I think that was a mistake because because some of the things that Biden championed and Obama decided not to do, I think, were the right decision. Um, Afghanistan being the, the most obvious case in point, you know. But Biden, I think, I think, as as David said, or somebody said, now I can't even remember who said it. One of you brilliant <laughs> people said just a few just microseconds ago, showing that it's been a long goddamn five years. Um, um, you know, people like Michelle Flournoy and Avril Haines and Jake Sullivan and, and Linda Greenfield Thomas and all the rest, um, these are not people who are gonna just say, yes, sir, anything you say, sir. You know, these are people who are gonna say, sir, um, I respectfully disagree. I think that's dangerous. I don't think that makes sense. I think there's a better way to do it. You know, and that's part of the reason that, that I, I like this team so much and I reject the, the notion that they are just totally boring, 
you know, and that we need outsiders to shake things up. You know, I think that these are people, they're readers, they're thinkers, they're people who reach out beyond their own immediate circle. Um, and they're honest brokers, all of them. Yeah, I would add something before I turn with a question to you, John, that, and, th- and this is the kind of thing which, you know, maybe listening to a podcast like this adds some value. You know, this, of all the groups of people that have ever been appointed to a national security team, I know this group the best. I know these people. I've known them for a long, long time. Um, in, 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 in several cases, uh, uh, you know, I got to Washington 27 years ago. I started knowing some of them shortly after that. I have been in countless conversations with these people, private conversations. I'm not going to reveal the substance in which they were critical of the decisions of their administration. They were forming uh, the, you know, the, the arguments within the administration for alternative points of view. Um, and, and that's true with it's Jake or whether it's Tony or whether it's Avril or whether it's Michelle, if she ends up in this thing. Um, these are these are people who are independent thinkers. Uh, and that's that, you know, that's that's real important. But, you know, from, from the point of view, the rest of the world, uh, they're going to, you know, immediately they're pouring over it at their intelligence agencies all around the world where, you know, somebody's been assigned to write you know, a quick take on, so tell us what Biden foreign policy is going to be now based on who these people are. Um, So John, you know, save them some trouble. (laughs) Oh, I'll come up with it. I mean, I think, uh, I think that I don't have, uh, you know, uh, I think they're all doing the thing that everybody's done, which is these guys are a part of a lot. So they're all probably people that that intelligence agencies abroad have files on, right? I, I guarantee you, everybody has a file on Jake Sullivan. Uh, everybody has a file on on Tony Blinken. Um, many of them have met in the greenhouse and, and things along those lines. There's there's a great amount of knowledge about them. I think the two things that I would say that are the wild cards, right? Because they're they're sort of known quantities, and Joe Biden to a lot of foreign governments is a relatively known quantity. Is I think there's a I think there's a genuine question of what's going on inside the U.S. government. Uh, I think we've all watched what's been happening at the Defense Department the past few months and few weeks and been scratching our heads and saying, what is this appointment? What does this mean? I think, you know, open source, we are all trying to figure out, and I'm sure the transition team is trying to figure it out because they can't get access to these, to what's going on in government via the GSA, is, you know, what kind of agency is Tony Blinken going to be running at the State Department? Uh, what kind of... CIA is left after some of the games that have been played. What, you know, what is the, the level of morale and professionalism in the uniform military, right? I mean, we, we all assume certain things. So I think that is one of the wild cards that people don't know. What Schlitz does America have in its government right now? And I think that's a real question that, you know, if, if Tony Blinken says go, or should it be Michelle Flournoy says go, what can these agencies do? I think there's a prevailing assumption that everybody thinks that they can do everything and that's the American spirit. But I think that's a real wild card that foreign agencies don't really know. Uh, and open source doesn't really tell you, you know, the stuff on morale, the stuff on departures, the stuff on things, all those lines. They don't know. So I think that is, I think, the big question. And I assume that's the big question foreign agencies are trying to figure out, which is what's the US government got in the tank right now? Um, and I think. These are the kind of folks who can rebuild, but this is going to be rebuilding the U.S. government which and U.S. agencies, which hasn't been done in decades, 
while you're trying to fly the plane in the air and meet the challenge of Russia, meet the challenge of China, meet pandemic threats, things along those lines. It's a wild thing. And I think that is the piece of trying to understand American foreign policy in the next two or three years. That is a bigger question than perhaps what Jake Sullivan wrote in foreign affairs two years ago. Uh, that I think is the big, bigger wild card. And that's the thing that I think foreign agencies would be better to look into and try to figure out. So Corey, you know, you, I, I'm same question to you. You can look at this group of people and you can draw some conclusions. Jake Sullivan helped negotiate the JCPOA, or as Rosa likes to call it. The JICPOA. JICPOA, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, what's the matter with you other people? It's of course it's called the JICPOA. Everybody know, knows no, that. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> She's showing her Pentagon service. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> of course it's called that. Why, um, why, why spill it out if I could just make up a fake new word? Right. And John Kerry also obviously yeah. had a hand in that. And John Kerry had a big hand in uh, the Paris Accords. And, you know, they, they're picking somebody who was a child refugee to run the agency responsible for child refugees and somebody who has been deeply involved in UN peacekeeping and human rights to go to the United Nations, you know, I mean, so there are some messages here. I'm wondering what are, what are some of the ones you take from all this? I really like the messages. I love the message that there are so many qualified women in the frontier of appointments. A reminder, uh, a refutation of the ridiculous arguments sometimes made that, well, you know, there, we just didn't see any qualified women. And there was a huge effort by the sisterhood through a program called LC Wins to get resumes of talented women uh, to consider for appointments. No, wait a second. I'm, is that is that pronounced Lick Wins? It's pronounced. I'll let Rosa make that. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Guess it's, why? Because we wanted to have the word. We wanted to have wins in there. Yeah, I see. And we are. We are winning. I really love the messages that the Biden administration sends. I actually disagree a little bit with John. I think that the depth and resiliency and strength of the civil servants in all of the government departments are not gonna make the reconstruction task particularly difficult, especially since the most important message the first appointments are sending is competent, talented, qualified people. And culture dominates everything else in an organization. It dominates strategy, it dominates resources, and the culture of calm competence that these appointments and the process that produced these appointments sends will set culture in the organizations in very positive ways and that will carry to the downstream appointments. I think it'd be astonishing if Avril Haines, as wonderful and creative and uh, diverse a thinker as she is, picks somebody who's not going to take the approach of careful fact-based analysis into their intelligence assessments or promotes it in others. Um, so I think that's a hugely good consequential sign. And the symbolism of the choices. Again, the DHS one I think is just incredibly beautiful. The message that sends both to Americans and to uh, the rest of the world 
that policy is going to change because policy personnel choices are policy. You know, I th it's interesting, by the way, it, 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 it doesn't get discussed a lot in this context, but one of the things that surprised me is that the Biden administration, the Biden campaign was very well run disciplined campaign. And um, this transition so far really shows the hand of Ron Klain and some of the other people in and around the vice president who know what is involved in a transition mm -hmm. and know how to run it. Um, but Rosa, if you were involved in the drafting of this memo for some foreign organization, there's also some things you might read between the lines. And so I've read some of the articles with the between the lines takes. So for example, where's Susan Rice? And then they'll say, well, Mitch McConnell controls the Senate in all likelihood, and Susan Rice would be, you know, radioactive in that Senate, so she's not going to make it. Um, you brought up this thing about where's Michelle. Now, I've heard some various stories, and I, by the way, I'm a huge Michelle fan and hope, hope that things work out for her. But, you know, they, they've included that the left um, has chosen her to make her a, a target. Um, and there may be some horse trading. John provided one reason. Another reason might be, well, what are we going to give this faction in order to get them to buy off on that? So that may be part of it. Or, I mean, another, by the way, thing that I heard out there was that, um, you know, Tony and Michelle are partners in the same consulting firm. And to announce two partners from the same consulting firm um, might seem awkward to people. Are there other sort of between the lines things you get, Rosa, from looking at this group? Wait, 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 can I interject one quick thing? Yeah. Which is, oh my God, how grateful are we all that no Biden family members yeah, are in these no, appointments. No. And what a welcome change it is. You haven't heard about CIA Director Hunter Biden? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, oh God. I, Look, the far left of the party, and again, this is a fringe part of the party. This is the part of the party that refused to vote for Biden, right? So this is this is people who see themselves as the purists. Um, this is not the progressive caucus. No, forty percent of the Congress, right? Yeah, this is a tiny fringe element, and they're also going after Jay Johnson, who's often spoken of as as another shortlist candidate for Secretary of Defense, who's also a terrific guy. African-American would be the first African-American secretary of defense, um, you know, and they're also, you know, throwing mud at him, uh, hoping some of it will stick just as they're doing to Michelle. I don't see, I, I think it's totally possible that, that behind the scenes, that's some of what's going on, but I also don't see a viable alternative. They're not, you know, there is no viable alternative at this moment, at least not that I'm aware of. Um, you know, in, in terms of people who really have the experience and the relationships to to get things done. So I, I I don't know what you horse trade for. I mean, sure, there's always horse trading. And I do think I do think Susan Rice was a victim of exactly that. You know, that that Susan Rice, um, you know, there are fair criticisms you could level at Susan Rice, but the Benghazi stuff is not one of them. But that's something that will make it impossible. I think I, I think they're assuming it will make it impossible for her to get confirmed. Uh, that's why, she, you know, it's well, anyway, um, you know, I so, so is there horse trading on some people? Sure. But I don't quite see where the horse trading would be on defense secretary at this point. I, I actually think that despite the 
despite the the far left unfounded criticism uh, that Michelle Flor and I would probably be the easiest person to confirm, um, you know, because she has relationships on both sides of the aisle. Corey, you look like you're want to jump in. I was going to break in with a Muppet newsflash because I was, as always, scrolling Twitter while we were talking to make sure that I'm so rude <laughs> to make sure that I'm not get caught flat-footed. Um, and I follow Rosa's example in this, but I just saw the news of another announcement that seems to me incredibly sound, which is the selection of Janet Yellen as Treasury Secretary. Oh, oh, oh. man. That's, yeah, this that's, is how yeah. you learn stuff while this you're is, podcasting. This is this is now we got a whole new thing. Well, the okay. uh, if I could just add one thing to, to just combine, which is I think the division of the U.S. government and I think the sort of really deeply partisan stuff with Mitch McConnell and uh, is probably not news to a lot of foreign intelligence agencies. But I think one, just to build up what Corey said and to sort of foot stomp it a little bit, you know, the U.S. government is pretty diverse. You know, those of us who've worked in it have seen a lot of diversity at the lower levels and, and especially within the ranks of the military and things along those lines. And I think that, you know, if you were looking at this uh, as a foreign government and saying, hey, America's finally leveraging all its talent and saying we're going to use we're going to appoint women at the highest level. We're going to appoint uh, different ethnic groups, different folks from different other groups. It's, it's finally sort of capturing all of America's potential. Uh, and so I actually think that it sends a pretty fascinating signal to the world that the United States is finally starting to appoint people that come from all parts of American life. It's not just uh, the American foreign policy establishment four or five schools. Uh, so I think it's a good sign. And I think that it's something that shows that America is changing, even if there's parts of it that are still divided. Uh, so I think the, the world's gonna get an interesting, we'll have an interesting reaction to that. I also think, you know, um, so Barack Obama also appointed a very diverse group of people in his cabinet. Um, but I think the a fair criticism of Obama, one that he makes of himself, in, in as I understand it, in his in his new book, which I have not read yet, but but have read a number of reviews, um, and I gather it's you know six hundred pages long and only covers the first two years. Um, and I think that the six hundred pages long and only covers his first instant of indecision. Well, the the the, the, the knock on Barack Obama is that precisely what makes him human. And what makes him really appealing in all kinds of ways, you know. I mean, I'm I'm an academic. I I think uncertainty and ambiguity is fascinating, you know. But obvious, and so does he. He's a you know another former law professor. But the you know the the fair criticism of him that he makes himself is that sometimes he got a little too caught up in the on the one hand, on the other hand, on the third hand, on the fourth hand, on the fifth hand, when what needed to get done was just something. Um, a decision. Um, and, and, and I think that, you know, the knock on Biden that some have made is, oh, oh he's not as much of an intellectual, you know, um, but, but Biden, I think is really pragmatic. I think he's a guy who's like, that's interesting. Tell me more about that uncertainty and that ambiguity. Okay, let's get it done. And, and will he make mistakes? Of course he will. You know, will this team screw up? Of course they will individually and collectively because, because that's what humans do. But, but I actually, I think that um, this team will have kind of the right balance of people who appreciate uncertainty and ambiguity and will emphasize uncertainties and unknowns and risks and complications, 
with people who are good at kind of saying, okay, you know, yep, that's right. But now we have to make a decision. And if it's wrong, we'll, we'll, we'll work on fixing it. But, but, you know, you, you have to operate amidst uncertainty and still have to move forward. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about that, about seeing this diverse team. And, and, and actually one, one other thing to add again, I, you know, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. Um, you know, one of the things we know um, from a ton of social science evidence is that diverse teams are more immune from groupthink. They're less likely to all just get into a little bubble where they reinforce each other. Um, they end up making better decisions and, and operating more efficiently and more effectively. You know, so I think the world is absolutely going to see this as a signal that the US is getting its shit together after four years of just utter chaos and embarrassment um, and I think the, you know, I think the rest of the world is just mightily relieved. And I don't think we are, and I've said this before, obviously, in the domestic context, I don't think we're at all out of the woods. The Trump clown show is going to take its show on the road, uh, and it's going to continue to cause problems, all kinds of problems. Uh, and I don't for one moment think that we can all relax and say, oh, you know, that embarrassing episode of American history is behind us now. It ain't. Um, We've got lots of work to do ahead, but I, but at least I think that both we and the rest of the world can, can take a sort of sigh, big sigh of relief and say, will the U.S. government's foreign policy machinery in the next four years be perfect? No, uh, because it can't. Uh, but will it be sane, normal, open? Will the lines of communication be open? Yes, they will. And and every and that's you know that is so much better than what we've had. So we've only got a couple of minutes here. And so I want to go around and ask you a question. I, I would make an observation, by the way, that it's really uncanny to me, the degree to which after eight or 10 White House staff appointments and now seven or eight high level cabinet appointments, I have yet to hear one that made me cringe. <laughs> and and I have yet to hear, you know, there were folks in the Obama administration who if you plunk them into other jobs, in this administration, I would go, oh, no, this is a bad sign. Or, you know, we're going to repeat this mistake or we're going to repeat that mistake. And the Janet Yellen one just, you know, com compounds this belief of mine. They've been very canny so far. But the question becomes, what else are you looking for? What, el what else would you like to see as Biden rounds out either his uh, as cabinet or as sub cabinet that you think can compound this message? And I'll just go around the group, starting with John. It's uh, a great question. What else do I want to see? I think I'd love to see a few more folks from the sort of post 9-11 era, I, a little more senior. I'd love to see some, uh, I mean, there are some super talented folks, you know, uh, like Lauren Rosenberger, uh, other really sharp folks who got into, got into foreign policy because 9-11. I think that's a, you know, that's a, that's a level of talent, 20 something years of folks who have served some, some in wars. I, I think that that is an, a, a really huge, like Alyssa Slotkin's a great example. It's a Scott member of Congress. She's been a, a, a fantastic member of Congress. She won re-election in Michigan this year in a tough time to run in Michigan. And she was, you know, at Columbia University uh, on 9-11. I think that's a group of talent that has thought deeply and thought uh, and creatively about American power in this new century. And I'd love to see him tap more of those folks. I mean, there's some great jobs, CIA, obviously DOD, veterans. 
But, you know, sub sub cabinet, deputy secretaries of defense, like this is a place that you could put some really talented young people like Mayor Pete, other people who could really, uh, I think, add a nice dimension of thought to interagency debates. If only you could say <laughs> Rose's, Rose's no, facial no, no, expressions. Nothing, nothing. That was not about anyway. I would love to see. I would love to see an appointment of the head of the Department of Veterans Affairs, somebody who has run General Motors or a large conglomerate business. Ex Exxon, like like so, Rex Tillerson could come back. I'm serious, John. The <laughs> It's, it's really doing a disservice to America's veterans that we are putting as the head of the program, people who haven't had the experience of running a large, diverse organization, because it really matters that we spend so much money and serve our veterans so poorly. So that's a job that really needs good management. Um, and so I'd love to see somebody uh, with those skills put there. Inter interesting, interesting point. By the way, footnote, wasn't Michelle's husband Dep Deputy Secretary of Veterans was, Affairs? Was, uh, no. uh, the Navy veteran, um, and he was the Deputy Secretary. Yeah, it's just, it's just a footnote. What would you like to see, Rosa? No, I, I think John is absolutely right. I, I think we have a fantastic sort of next generation group and and much as I would love to be able to claim that I am part of it, I think I have <laughs> graduated from next generation. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of people who are, you know, 40 and under, uh, or okay, let's even say 45 and under, um, you know, <laughs> uh, I still don't, I still, I still have aged out of it, sadly. Um, you know, there, there, there's an amazing group of people, um, um, some of them with deep government experience, you know, really spent their entire adult lives working in foreign policy, national security, some of whom came to it more recently. Um, and I, and I, I do think that, I think we see a lot of those people on the uh, uh, Obama, uh, Biden, sorry, Biden-Harris transition agency review teams. Um, when you look at a lot of the names, um, you know, a lot of those are younger. They're, they're both very diverse and there are a lot of younger folks on those teams. And mm -hmm. that is exciting. It, it bodes really well. Um, you know, Corey mentioned Elsie Wins, the Leadership Council for Women in National Security. There are other groups like Out in National Security that advocates yeah. for the LGBTQ community which really needs to find a way to make that a word because it's hard to say. Um, <laughs> and, and, and right, and like Rose is gonna be like tempted to pronounce it. It's gotta be like the poet. Um, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, you know, there, there's women of color advancing peace and security. There's a NatSec girl squad. You know, there are all yeah. kinds of fantastic organizations um, that have really done a tremendous job of saying, whoa, 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 you don't get to say, oh, I would so like to appoint a such and such, but there are so few of them because look, there are so many of them, yeah. here they are. And when yeah. you look at that list of people on the agency review teams, I think there was a CNN piece uh, uh, a week a week ago, or a few days ago that said that 53% of senior staff in the transition are women and 42% mm -hmm. are, people of are people of color. Um, yeah. Nobody counted up how many are under are under forty or under forty five, but yeah. I think probably fifty percent or so as well. 
Um, yeah. And it's it. I you know I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the other announcements as they come in. And obviously the the folks you know below the cabinet level, it's going to come in a little bit more slowly um, because they got to get the the leadership squared away. But um, I think I think this is I mean, this is. You know me, I wear the thorny crown of entropy. Usually I'm like, this sucks, everything sucks, doom, the sky is falling, the end is nigh. But right this, I, I'm actually feeling really enthusiastic and excited. This is not going to be perfect, but it's going to be pretty darn good. And that is something to be really happy and relieved about. Totally. By, by the way, totally agree with you. I think that's just as good a place as we possibly could find to end here. It's not going to be perfect. It's never been perfect. There's no American administration that hasn't made big mistakes in foreign policy over, over the years. The past 20 years have not been the highlights of American foreign policy. Uh, you need a special kind of group to be able to take it up to the next level. They've got to combine experience, the ability to work together as a team, uh, knowledge of their buildings, um, uh, uh, trust for one another, a um, uh, certain degree of creativity, diversity, um, uh, a, a, an ability to set politics aside and, and to set priorities based on national interests. And this team has all that. You know, this is, you know, if, if, if you made a list of the 10 things that we've learned from past experience, you could go down the list and you'd check the boxes. And so it's not going to be perfect, but certainly we're headed in the right direction. Uh, and frankly, the fact that the three of you guys uh, uh, believe that, I think, should be taken by our listeners as a sign um, that, at the very least, it's the right direction. Um, that said, thank you very much, John, for joining us the first time. I hope you'll join us again sometime. Anytime. Uh, you and Paddington Bear. I think Paddington Bear is behind you there, and in, in your that that is that is a padding. That is my childhood bank that's become my son. So he put it in my office this morning. Well, I'd so, like, I'd like to like know, to see that Paddington Bear is a Paddington bank. Corey, there is, Corey there, on the other hand, has a dismembered body behind her, which is a little worrying. Corey, that's just a victim <laughs> that Corey is bronzed. <laughs> <laughs> as a reminder, as a reminder to the world, and um, I, by the way, have and Rosa can relate to this. I can't show you here, but right over my head here at my desk, I have a giant stuffed Eeyore. Uh, ah. So, 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 I got one of those somewhere. Uh, that's yeah. where we are. In any event, folks, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks to everybody for uh, listening. Go to the DSRnetwork.com for more information. Um, uh, this is Thanksgiving week, so we will not be doing a show on Thursday as we usually do, but we'll be back oh, on. We're really thankful. On Monday. <laughs> you know, we will be very thankful. And maybe on Monday we'll talk about what we're thankful for. But I think uh, there was plenty of that on this on this broadcast. So happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And um, don't uh, get too close to anybody that, you know, uh, stay outdoors, wear a mask and uh, stay healthy. Bye bye.